I'm Asan. It's Friday, and this is the Friday Show. Somehow, it feels like we're back in pre-season. Maybe VAR really has taken football's soul this week. Joining me to preview the weekend and see if we've still got our souls intact, I've got Mr. Howard Hockin and first the Athletics, Sam Lee. Morning, Sam. Good morning. Good morning. How's your soul? Uh, Yeah, well, you get a few days to kind of recover from VAR and how shit it is, and then it's going to come roaring back. (laughs) Over the weekend, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's fair. It's more oh. or less soul intact. Excellent, excellent. Mr. Hocking, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm okay, thank you. Very good. Excited for the weekend? Uh, well, it... <laughs> don't try too hard, Howard. Whatever no, I don't put do, down don't on it. Too hard. No, it, it's the kickoff time. It's, yeah, I prefer a Saturday game, to be honest. But, yeah. yeah. Or even the late Sunday, but. Yeah, yeah. It should be an interesting game, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Well, listen, um, I've got an opening question for you both. Away from City. Well, kind of away from City, kind of not away from City. Uh, Vincent Company has had his match day role changed at Anderlecht. He's the player manager there, and it seems now on match days he will only be a player, and Simon Davies will be the coach or first-team coach after a very poor start to the season for them. Um, Sam, sentiment aside, was this a bad job for him to take? Um, I think the the player coach side of it is ambitious. Um, and then I suppose the next question is, if it keeps going badly, you know, not not necessarily it will do, but if it does, will he let go of being a player? Because obviously, no, he's fought so hard, and he's played every he's played every minute, hasn't he, so far? So. He obviously wants to keep playing as much as possible, but if it comes to it and he had to give up one, which one would he give up? Um, I don't. I don't think it was a. I don't think it was a bad job to do. Um, I mean, obviously, there's all the comparisons with Guardiola, and I don't think they're in any way alike, or in in very few ways are they alike. But you know, Guardiola finally took over Barca B, and he did well. But then straight into Barcelona, so. I think it just it depends on how how you take to it. Um, I think I think the decision to take the job was fine. I'm not sure about some of the decisions. I mean, as soon as you signed mm-hmm. Sami and Azri, I thought this is this isn't what I'd what I had in mind. You know, there was all all the talk about going there to do to do good things or whatever, and then you just signed Sami and Azri on a free. It's just a bit football manager to me. It's like, mm-hmm. and you know, he's. I don't know. Like, there's there's a reason Sami Nasri has never really fulfilled that great potential. There's a reason he's had problems at all the clubs he's been to and fitness issues and whatever. And it's one of the, it's just one of those desperate signings. It looked like Balotelli going to Brescia now. It's like I'm sure Brescia thinking, oh well, you know, if we can tap into him and get his talent out, then we've got a great player. But there's a reason none of these none of these works ever move out. None of these moves ever work out for for these lads because you can't just tap Is it into a bit that potential. Disrespectful. Is it a bit disrespectful to? to the Belgian league and to Anderlecht to bring in a guy like Nasri who, you know, really feels like he's at the tail end of his career. Um, and if you kind of look at the, I don't know, like there, there's there's a part of me that looked at that signing and instinctively was just like, yeah, there is something a bit football manager about it in the sense that, you know, you can imagine that he's looked at it and gone, well, Nasri's got probably got, you know, more ability than most of the players in this league, but, you know, he's not got the mentality. And 
and elect already are a target being the biggest and the most successful club in Belgium. You you layer into that the fact that Vincent Company kind of brings himself in as the player manager, and you imagine that that makes them a bigger. The headlines are bigger, therefore the op- on on match day, you know, the opposition have got a bigger incentive to beat you to begin to recruit somebody like Nasri. You see the point I'm making, Sam? That it's maybe a, di- a bit disrespectful to everything else in the league. Um. It depends on how you look at it, because not uh, maybe not everyone's going to look at the Nasri signing like like I do. Maybe the, a lot of them will look at it and think this is a good player, and uh, and you know the opposition would maybe raise their game because he's a good player and his company rather than you know these these are di- these are dickheads. We want to beat them, um, but mm. it's, I mean it's not just Nasri. I mean I don't want you know I'm not going to make him a scapegoat. To be honest, I've no idea how, he, how he's played for them, and there's been other good signings like Kimar Roof. I think he's not played yet, but. He's an interesting one, and he could help to turn things around. And Sandler, he's an interesting one. Um, but it's it's like, and look, it, it might still work. And this is just one of those where you're picking holes in it from the start. And it's, this is the kind of thing I didn't get into in City's first season because I was like, look, it's going to work; it'll be fine. Because um, I, I you didn't you don't just want to jump on the bandwagon of a few bad results and start nitpicking. Um, but again, instinctively, you think Craig Bellamy go in there. That's just company's mate. You know, he, he left Cardiff under a cloud from a similar role, and Simon Davis going. It's like of all the people you could, you could take. You know, you could pick to take with you from City. I'm not sure how high Simon Davis's name would have been up many lists. So it's like it's just a bit of a weird one. Um, and obviously, you know, companies at the start of his career himself. But you know, it's only four games in, and again, like the Guardiola comparison that they drew the first game and lost the second, or whatever it was at the Barca first team. So. There's definitely time to turn it around, but I mean, there are a few things that did feel weird, you know, before the results, before the season started. So I don't think it was too yeah. big. I just think that yeah, some of the decisions have been a bit weird. Okay, Howard, um, do you want to chime in? Like I, I, I put in the agenda that you know feels a bit Omri back to Monaco for me. Feels a, a little bit like you know, I just I get the sense that. On the one hand, I really want it to work out. And I like the idea that, you know, company is really inspired by Guardiola and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, I did kind of look at, you know, Simon Davis isn't the most highly rated of the city coaches. Craig Bellamy has had some issues as a coach, I believe. Um, Samir Nasri has had some questionable issues as a player. I mean... It, does it? Do you see where I'm going here with this, Howard? Like, is there is there a sense here that maybe on paper it was great when it was announced, but as things have begun to unfold, you wonder what Vinny's doing? Yeah, well, it was always a risk because it's his first, it's his first job in management. Uh, I think he did some, you know, a long, long presentation and a, you know, uh, mapping out his vision to the. To the board of Anderlecht and convince them, you know, and his big ideas. But having big visions and plans on paper is very different to, you know, to actually being the. He can't. He doesn't really know how it's going to go until he's doing it. Until he's had to make, you know, really difficult decisions and manage players. And yeah, it's easy with hindsight, but he's probably just taking too much on. I don't, I don't know. Player managers have can work, uh, but they're often reactive things when someone leaves. 
Uh, now you could say is the pressure's off because obviously the fact that the Anderlecht job was available means they weren't doing that well. I think it's the first time they've not qualified for Europe for well or forever. Uh, but then that also puts pressure on because it shows that they're not in a good place. And, you know, he's not taking on a squad that's on a high. Uh, I just think he's taking too much on. It's a bit archaic me player managers, and if he was going to do it, he had to. I mean, he had to retire from international football. It's just, he can't do everything. Mm. There's an international break coming up now and that was the time for him to work on stuff and improve stuff, but he'll be away playing for Belgium and then he's got his testimonial with City. So he won't be there. Uh, the fact they've already changed the structure and Simon Davis is now going to, you know, start managing on match days is not a good sign, to be honest. Uh, you know, if he's had this vision, if he's planned it out, He's wanted this for quite a while, from like a year ago. Then he shouldn't have him to be making changes like this so early on. He should have seen how it would play out and what responsibilities have. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't immediately uh, lump him in with, with Thierry Henry, who just looks like a disaster as soon as it happened. Because I don't know, there's more charisma and Henry's reputation is worth something, I guess, as a manager. You know, any brilliant player. But that doesn't really last long. doesn't transmit if you don't actually inspire your players on the pitch. And I think companies on a different level inspire... You know, you only have to watch Henri in his early days as a pundit to think. I'm not sure. He's not a man-manager. He's, he's, you know, mm. he's not a an outgoing person. People have said he's not really made... You know, his personality's not made, really, for this sort of thing. Whereas with company, I think it is. There's about 10 different things he could have, you know, excelled at. So I, I won't put him with uh, lumping in with Henri at the moment. Uh, but, you know, it's not, it's the worst possible start, really. And he's got to, I think he's got to, yeah, abdicate some responsibilities. But giving some to Simon Davis, as you said, might, it's not really, not really the way that, you know, improve things. So, mm. uh, but he's got plenty of time, I think. So, I think you just have to learn on the job and hope it just takes one result, you know, to turn things around and and then the confidence is up in the whole squad. Absolutely. I think the biggest challenge, <clears throat> as you say, will be the amount of work that he's taken on by being player manager, by still playing for Belgium. Again, you know, I mean, his testimonial is a one-off, but I guess that that's the thing. If I, I'm trying to look at this from an Andalek supporter's point of view, and if I was an Andalek supporter, I'd be a little bit worried right now um, about the amount that he's, amount of responsibility that he's taken on, and where does his focus lie? Does his focus lie in his own performances? Does his focus lie in coaching the team? You know, it, it's it's an interesting line that you have to draw when you're saying that. On the match day, this coach is going to be in charge of all the tactics. Well, does that mean that whatever... So company still decides it. Yeah, but I see what you're saying. But then does that mean that if five minutes into a game, it's not working out, Simon Davis can change the tactical setup? How does that reflect upon Vinny? I I don't know. Like, I mean, I, I, I understand the nuance. I understand why Christoph on Twitter yesterday, bristled a little bit 
at people kind of saying, oh, then he sacked himself and sort of saying, well, no, it's only it's only the 90 minutes of the game and it kind of makes sense that whilst he's on the pitch, somebody else should be in charge of the tactics. And I do, I do completely understand that. But I think, in a way, it almost feels counterproductive and naive to even make the announcement, if that makes sense. Because for me, logically, if you're on the pitch, lad, you're not going to be on the touchline dishing out tactical instructions. And you'd expect that whoever's on the touchline would be giving those instructions out instead. Does that make sense, Sam, what I'm saying? That it, that the whole the whole point of the idea of making the announcement, I'm not sure what it's achieved. Yeah, I mean, it, it basically, it's it's snowballed a bit hasn't it it's kind of gone from look it's when a club's in a bit of crisis like this and look it's not really a crisis it's a bit of a bad start under a new manager these things happen but you know the way everything unfolds with kind of public opinion and the news cycle and whatever we wouldn't be talking about this today if they hadn't have made this announcement really I mean not is it so much an announcement as I don't know, was it announced? Or did Christoph just report it and then Sky Sports said it? And then if one is, once it's on Sky Sports, it looks more dramatic than it is. Exactly. I mean, I think it is literally just that sort of the dominoes of Christoph reporting something that the club have told him and then him, and then that being picked yeah. up. But I guess my point is I'm surprised that Anderlet themselves would make an announcement like that. And maybe they felt they had to say something because of how poor the results were, but I can't help but feel that what they've said muddies the waters even more rather than clarifying things. I think for it, the only announcement that would have made sense would have been Vinny saying, I'm not going to play, I'm just going to be the manager. And I think that that would have given stability to the situation, but I'm not sure that this announcement or this change, how it really gives the impression of stability. No, it doesn't give the impression of stability at all. Mm. Okay, the other question I've got, speaking of unstable, before we begin to talk about uh, City and Spurs, um, should City and United, to a lesser extent, be saving Berry FC? I know that today is a very, very important day in the future of Berry. I've seen a lot of calls for, for City and United to step in. Howard? What what are your thoughts on this uh, this this notion that City should be saving Berry? Well, no, of course they shouldn't. Yeah. I mean Berry. You know, I went to Berry as a kid. I think their their history is exactly the same length as ours. You know, it's it's a terrible situation, and I can see the you know on the absolute bare surface you've got you know billionaires down the road that could just sort this problem in two minutes in theory. But no, of course not. Firstly, someone posted on Twitter, I've not seen EF rules. I don't think City and United can anyway. I don't think gifts to clubs are allowed. So, it, you know, it kind of kills the conversation there and then. But you can't, clubs cannot be run on the basis that, you know, someone down the road will save them if they get into trouble. And all you're doing, if City did, you know, where would the money go, first of all? City say, here's a million pounds. Where's it going? You know, we can't be sure it's going to help the club. It's just, it's delaying the inevitable anyway. It's not really solving anything because the problems will remain. Like paying off the minimum amount on your stacked credit card bill. And, you know, it's it doesn't, it's just a deflection from the actual problems of, you know, Steve Dale running this club into the ground. The EFL fit and proper test for allowing him to take over in the first place. And this is the solution. It's not for money. 
you know, to be given to them to help them out. Because first of all, other clubs in the league will say, well, that's not fair. Why, you know, if a, you know, if Notts County or someone that are not close to a really wealthy club say, well, why do they get bailed out? And it would just encourage, if this was the norm, if this, you know, was allowed to happen, then clubs would just keep spending beyond the means. It's like, it's a bit like no, with terrorists, isn't it? Yeah, there's no incentive. <laughs> <laughs> Which one's a terrorist then? No, but it is though, isn't it? Because if, if, if people start getting kidnapped and then you pay off the terrorists, then every time every time someone English goes on holiday, you're going to get kidnapped because the kidnappers are going to want $5 million. It's, it's, it's yeah. a similar thing, isn't it? If, like, where to draw the line? And then, yeah, you're right, everyone's going to do it. And the only other thing, you know, the thing that I've often said is it would have been nice that City don't do anymore is have a you know one pre-season friendly against local sides still. Uh, but I'm not sure even... I don't think Barry were fit to host even a pre-season friendly anyway. So, you know, this is the trouble therein. Uh, this is not to do with City United, nor can they or are they obliged to help out, which sounds a horrible thing to say, but it is just the way it is. It, it, it set a precedent and it won't solve the situation. The situation is needs to sell up. A guy who's bought the club for a pound or a penny or whatever has put no money in and is now trying to get... One or two million out of well, it. That's, that's, that's the problem. That's the thing, yeah. Like, is a city just going to give this guy two million to leave? Like, that's not that's not bailing out Barry, is it? That's giving the bloke two million quid for being a terrible exactly, footballer. Exactly. Yeah. Where where does the money go? You know. So no, <laughs> in a word, no. Okay. Beautiful. Sam, do you want to add anything else? I no, think that's. Really, yeah. uh, I think you've pretty well covered it as well yeah. with your terrorist analogy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's Excellent. that's how it is. Okay. Really. I mean, you can. See, it's it's easy from an emotional point of view to say, oh, they should do this. They got loads of money. It's a drop in the ocean. But yeah, if you explore the practicalities of it, I don't think it works. I just think it's I, I think it's I think it's notionally bollocks. Like the 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 idea that you know another a n other football club should put their hand in their pocket and pay to quote unquote save a n other football club that was run badly. Nah, I mean that's I I understand the problems moving down through the tiers i understand that if there are issues with the redistribution of, of tv money and all that kind of stuff understand all the issues with fit and proper person test and people buying lower league clubs but ultimately there is a place for all of these things to be dealt with and, and a way for all of these things to be dealt with and resolved and i don't think that part of that should be suddenly it becomes the responsibility of Premier League football clubs to bail out lower league clubs whenever they are badly run. There there are some payments from the Premier League down to the lower leagues, I think, and I do think they are actually about to reduce it, which is bang out of order if so. Uh, There can be a structure there where, you know, that's a different argument, you know, about what the Premier League pays to lower league clubs, and I'm fine with that, that a slice goes down to lower league clubs. But again, whatever they get, some owners will just go over the line. You know, the more they get, the more they'll abuse it. So there'll still be these clubs that go too far or owners that run clubs into the ground. That's the issue here. It's owners running the clubs into the ground. Probably because they want, you know, building property on there. I think Barry's protected in that respect. But it's about owners. It's not about City helping out. And let's not forget City gave them Carrington for free as a training ground for years. And they couldn't keep that up to spec. Even yeah, though it's given to for free, they couldn't. Money, actually. Yeah, so they, they have helped, and they couldn't even keep that side of the bargain. So, there you go. 
Okay, moving forward. Or should I say moving backwards? Um, Sam, me and Howard did the uh, post-Spurs review. We've not really spoken to you about the Spurs game. Um, I want to dwell on it for too long, but having had a week to reflect... I want to kind of start as I did with the review. How good were City and what did they do well? Well, they were good. Um, to, I mean, to be fair, between, well, when was it? Probably since the second equaliser, the two all. Um, they did. There wasn't kind of that urgency in, in the play, or not so much urgency as just a cutting edge. So I remember looking at the clock when it was about, I don't know, 63 minutes or something, or maybe 65 or something, 70. I was like, oh, it's not going to be, I was like, it's not going to be like this. I said to, I was sat next to Mark Ogden, I went, it's, they're not going to play like this for the next 20 minutes. They'll, they'll score. And I mean, they, it didn't really look like it was coming. Obviously, in the end, they did score a goal. It, they did put the ball in the net. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was a bit of, it was a bit more disjointed towards the end. But overall, it was a really good performance. The, the, obviously, the numbers speak for themselves, but like, Kane just didn't touch it, did he? They did really well to just to keep him away from the goal. There were two two goals from. Well, the first one was obviously a couple of mistakes. Like Edison's positioning was just shit, basically, just really bad. Like, what, what was he doing? Um, mm. I think I don't think Aguero pressed well enough. I think that was the first kind of issue with the confrontation between him and. Guardiola, because I could see Guardiola kind of gesturing to Aguero first after the the Lamella goal, um, but I, th- I think Gundogan he got the ball was easily played in behind him. So you know, just just mistakes for that first goal. But yeah, that can happen. City had plenty of chances. Obviously, at the start of the second half, it should have been three one on on a few occasions. Um, the near post corner thing, which me and Michael Cox wrote about at the start of the season, um, that kind of came up again, but. Yeah, it was one of those things. Like the article I did was just try not to focus too much on VAR and just focus on, you know, the reaction. And you know, it wasn't like, you know, City fans came away from it like emotionally low because of what happened. But if you actually analyse the game, it's it's not like oh shit, City have got real problems. City need to sort this out. Need to sort that out. It's just City City did what they always do and have done for the last two years, and why they've been successful for the last two years. And we've always said, like, you know, I've done an interview with like the Bournemouth website this week, and they say, "Oh, what do you do to beat City?" And you can give them some ideas. You know, you can press in midfield and make it difficult for the holding midfielder, and try and get at the centre backs, and you know, be aggressive. Basically, I think that's the best way. Um, but basically, you need City to have bad luck or, and or mistakes, and that's that's effectively what happened against Spurs, and that's going to happen over and over mm. again. And this is Spurs, you know, it's not some shit team that they they had no luck against. Uh, it was a real shock. This was Spurs, and they still kept Spurs really quiet. They kept Kane really quiet, and yeah, like I say, just a combination of mistakes and and bad luck and VAR, as we're now going to have to get used to. What's the line between City playing well and Spurs being negative or playing dead? Because City did seem to dominate the ball, did seem to dominate the play, did seem you know almost like they were playing a bottom half of the Premier League side I mean 30 shots if you look at the number of not clear cut chances but for City very very good chances carved open it it doesn't really it's not a top 6 clash if that makes sense on paper you look at the stats and you go that's not two top 6 sides playing each other so what's the line within those stats as to where City were great or Spurs 
were either tactically playing dead or just couldn't get a foot yeah, in the game. Yeah, I think it's the latter. Um, because they kept trying to play out. And again, I was, so I was sat next to Mark Ogden and Adam Crafton, who now, now works with me at The Athletic. And I was, I was like, look, look, they're just... They, whenever they were trying to play out, they were just going from side to side. They never looked sure of themselves. And I was like, look, they're, they're just going to boot it in a minute. What, what is the point? But I was like, well, obviously, they're not, they can't just boot it straight away because that's exactly what City want. But they couldn't play out either because City just had them covered. So they just couldn't get a foothold in the game because... You know, they, they're a team that like to play out from the back. You know, Guardiola praised their positional game in his first season about how well they do that kind of stuff. They just couldn't get a foothold at all because City had them covered. And, you know, there would be a lot of intricate tactical details and, you know, in terms of shutting off lanes and people making the right moves. And, you know, maybe that's why Guardiola was pissed off with Aguero for the first goal because the one time he didn't do that, obviously, albeit on the halfway line, not so much towards their own goal, but maybe the one time he, he didn't cut off something, it was when the ball the ball was allowed to be worked up the pitch and, and they scored. So I just think City did that really well and that's why that's why Spurs couldn't really get near it. Okay. Um, just final point from you on, on the Spurs game. Uh, I, I will ask you a little bit about VAR, but just in terms <laughs> of the players and the performances, um, who caught your eye and why? Oh God. Uh, who caught my eye? It feels like forever ago now. Well, De Bruyne, obviously, and that was another. That was another mm. thing, kind of tied into what I was saying at first about being between like seventy and ninety minutes. It it dropped a bit because he was so good in the first half, and I think we've all kind of seen the analysis now. Again, Michael Cox did another analysis of it on the Athletic um, on Monday Night Football as well. They analysed it obviously with video how he moves into the different positions to get the crosses in. Although I don't think there was too much analysis because I actually. You, you could see it better because the camera angle changed for the second goal. Um, so I think they had a close-up camera angle of the right-hand side and then they panned back out to the main one. But just as that happened, you couldn't really see how hopelessly abandoned Danny Rose was because they were just knocking it around patiently between them. And it's like Danny Rose knew what was happening. He knew what was developing. And like every fibre of his being had him... He had to go and close Bernardo Silva. But he knew they were going to pass him behind him. And he was pointing to De Bruyne as if someone just please go with him. They didn't. And as soon as like he got free and he put that ball in for Aguero to tap in. And that that was fantastic, the way they manufactured that. So De Bruyne stood out. But even so, like it goes to show his versatility that he could basically go and play on the left wing in the second half or really wide on the left. But at the same time, he didn't create that much. And he had a few, he had a few poor crosses in the second half, you know, some from the right-hand side as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was he was showing his his range again and and how good he is and how intelligent he is. So he he definitely stood out. Um, I thought Rodri was really good, especially first half. Because mm, I was going to ask you about him, just in terms of. So I think I think it was Howard who said it, or maybe it was somebody else who said it this week that the fact that you know not a lot of people talked about Rodri after the Spurs game. Uh, is that actually a sign of how yeah, good he so. was? Because playing that position, that's it. It's the Gareth Barry analogy that, you know, you, nobody really noticed Gareth Barry when, it, when he had his best games for City because those were his best games, the games where he just kept it ticking over, kept everything safe at the back and didn't do anything too drastic, so to speak. Um, is that kind of how you saw it with his performance, that it was simple and it was controlled? Well, I, I mean, I thought it was really good, but maybe that's because it's exactly the same as what you're saying there. And the other thing is, you know, Fernandinho set such a high bar. How often does he make mistakes? Uh, so I, w- I was looking out because I was, you know, before I think we did a, a preview and who's going to play. 
Uh, and, you know, will Fernandinho come back in? Will he trust Rodri? Spurs are really good at pressing in that area. You know, if he gets caught on the ball, it could be really dangerous. So I was kind of keeping an eye on him for that, but he was just so quick, you know, in terms of his use of the ball, his body positioning, um, you know, his, his intelligence, his reading of the game, particularly in the first half. They couldn't get near him. I thought he was really good at doing, yeah, all those all those simple things well. And, yeah, maybe he just, like, had a a normal a normal good performance but yeah, given I was kind of looking at it from the point of view as this is a real test I, yeah I thought he was he was really really good obviously he came off towards the end maybe maybe partly a fitness thing although in the Simeone team maybe not fitness maybe they just needed a bit more variation you know because they put Gundogan back there didn't they and he's got a bit more at the moment he's got a bit more of a yeah. range of passing about him but yeah I thought Rodri was really good mm, I think maybe that was just about you know getting another another goal threat onto the pitch and you know if you if you look at the midfield maybe at that point Rodri's the least likely to score a goal so you bring yeah. him off and move Gundo back there um okay Sam last last little bit with a week to reflect upon the the VAR controversies um so you've seen the way I've written the question in the uh, in the agenda because I'm trying to Trying to lead you up a garden path here. Is it unfair to judge it as a system when it's in its infancy in the Premier League? If you put all the hysteria aside, wasn't there always going to be wasn't it always going to be the case that the first season you'd see some things that you didn't like that didn't work that would then be ironed out? Yeah, of course. I mean I'll still hate it, but yeah, I'll give it I'll give it that. <laughs> yeah, there are always gonna be problems and Ah, yeah, it was a guy I was speaking to Christoph at Wembley or yeah, Wembley I think. And he was saying, Look, everyone's saying the same things now as what they did in, in Belgium two years ago, but now nobody questions it. And you think I didn't actually get to the bottom of whether that was because now everyone's just sick and tired of questioning it and they've just ruined the game or because it works. Um but I saw Raphael Honigstein tweet the other day saying in Germany that you know that that it's looking like they're gonna use it less, which is interesting. Um, mm. You know, I was glad when they didn't bring it in last year. Um, but people did make the point that, you know, everyone around Europe is getting used to it. And so we're going to be behind. And I accept that point. Um, obviously, the other combination is just the fucking stupid rules that IFAB are coming up with now. Just tinkering for the sake of it. Is it like how. Mm. What, there was, there's something like there, there have only been minor tweaks to the rules in the last like 50 years or whatever. And. Obviously, this summer they brought in like ten. It's what, what, why? Like the little tweaks to like how you take a kickoff, fine. The goal kicks things that's interesting, but just yeah, I mean the combination of VAR and the the handball, the handball rule. What I mean, why not just? Uh, I don't know. Because if, if, if you got a clear and obvious error, then you're talking the Thierry Henry example from France against Ireland. That's a clear and obvious error. If you you can look at it and go, well, that was clear and obvious. The ref should have got it. So then, if you're going to say you can't score a goal with your hand, then just do it in the action of if he puts the ball in the net with his hand, then that's it. You know that that yeah. I mean, on then that's that Henry was an assist. Yeah, exactly. But that, what I mean is. If that's clear and obvious, then they because they review every goal anyway, don't they? They check every goal, yeah, so yeah. they go, "Oh shit, that, that was clear and no. obvious. Don't do that." Not, "Oh, it, it bounced off his shoulder." No, but they've given you know like that as an as a reason why they've done it, and then gone completely over the top. Yeah, so, exactly. 
Because people say, where's the cutoff? Yeah, and it's like, you it's... can just make the cutoff if the ball hits your arm and goes in the goal. It's not a goal. That's your cutoff. Yeah. Because otherwise, is, is it yeah. and I just... 20 seconds before the goal, the ball yeah. goes in? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I just think also, like, you know, it's kind of, it's reached a point where it's like, well, you know, the if this this there's the, for me there's a difference between the things that a referee misses yeah and the things that no referee or no official is ever going to see or ever going to flag for because it's just not i think the laporte handball is actually it's it's almost good that it happened so early in the season because i think it's brought to the fore the real, real, real issue. The, the Sterling and the Laporte things have brought the two biggest issues in VAR to yeah. the fore in the first two weekends of the Premier League season. And that is the offside and the handball. And I think in both both instances, the biggest issue is that even with VAR, it's subjective. You can't say for sure that Sterling was offside and you can't say for sure, even with the letter of the law, you can't say for sure that that's a handball or that that goal should have been ruled out. And I think that the whole point of VAR is so that when you go back to the video, it's just dead obvious. And if you go back to the video, it's dead obvious. Fine, you make the decision. But the moment at which it's not obvious, I think that you have to, uh, you just kind of have to go with, I mean, you just can't make a decision then, can you? You've got to go with what the referee set, d- does in the first place. I think it'll be more, um, the offside one is the bigger challenge almost because I don't know how they I don't know how they rewrite that rule I think it's pretty easy to almost revert back with the handball rule to go like well you know as you say if it comes off your arm and it's an assist and it goes in the goal then it's handball but anything like the both of them both the one uh the one against us uh the one in the Champions League and the one and the one from last weekend, I think both of those they should just be left to the referee. And if the referee doesn't, the referee doesn't think it's a handball. There's no way then that VAR should be going back and going playing it in slow motion and going. Well, if you look at it in slow motion, it grazes his arm. That just seems uh, seems a step too far. Not even in keeping with why they brought those rules in, in my opinion. Anyway, um, okay. Enough about. Are we are we done with VAR now, lads? Yes, yeah, Howard. If Until only we now. were done with VAR. <laughs> Until this all, weekend. Until all, this I will, weekend. all I will say about I don't can't remember where I read it. Uh, the, the stats against Spurs. It's like you know top six against top six. I think shots conceded. You know was one of the second lowest ever for City. I think only a Mourinho side in the Manchester derby has had fewer shots in their match, and the thirty shots I think is the highest ever as well. So you know if you take away the result, and the result is everything. That, yeah, it was one of the most dominant performances stats-wise, apart from goals scored ever between two top six sides. Wow! Yeah, you know, even comparing like the six 0 against Chelsea, they had far more chances in that game than yeah than Spurs did. Yeah, yeah, and hope so. Hopefully, it's just one of those days. Yeah, no, definitely. I think the other stat that I read this morning, I don't know if it's true or not, but I really like it, so I'm going to pretend that it's true, is that City have only conceded one goal from open play in the Premier League since the 1st of January. Yeah, pretty impressive. I I can't remember Uh, which date in January. For for whatever reason, I had the 30th in my head. But either way, yeah, it's since some some time in January, that was, yeah, the Spurs goal was the first goal they conceded in open play. Wow. Mm, Mental. Anyway, uh, so... 
City travel very, 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 very south this weekend to play Bournemouth. Um, Sam, I feel like a trip to Bournemouth is always a dangerous game. I feel almost as if post Spurs, having had a long week to prepare, somehow has made me, I'm more nervous going into this weekend than I was going into last weekend. Um, so why ask, Why do I think Bournemouth are dangerous, Sam? Well, there's been some difficult games there. I mean, obviously the one in mm. March was probably the most one-sided Premier League game in history. I know City didn't create a lot of chances, but Bournemouth literally didn't have a corner, did they? They didn't have a cross, didn't have a shot. Um, and, you know, Mahrez scored that um, somewhat fluky goal, mishit. Um, but it was very one-sided and you it was one of those where one of those examples of what we were just talking about there. You know, City just don't concede goals in open play because of performances like this. Um, and then you know the season before that, it was the last minute goal with Sterling, wasn't it? Um, so it has been tight. You know, Bournemouth play. You know, when I went back to when people asked me how you play against City, and I say, you know, you 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 press the midfielders and you you be aggressive. That's what Bournemouth can do best. They do do that best against a lot of top six teams. They do it against Liverpool. They do it against Arsenal. They've done it against United. They don't always win, but they've had some joy with it. They went the complete opposite way with that last season. And it makes you think now, given it's the start of the season, you can, you know, you're not worried about getting relegated or whatever. Um, and given it didn't work in March to try and contain City, um, maybe they'll think they will be a bit more aggressive. Uh, I mean, so that's probably why you. You're thinking Bournemouth's a tricky one, but like I say, from City's point of view, they didn't do it. You know, they didn't do anything the other day really to suggest that there's any major problems. Obviously, you don't want the mistakes to start creeping in, but it's unlikely. Um, I was with someone yesterday who speaks to Guardiola a lot, and you know, they, I think they went out for dinner on Saturday after the game, and they were like, "Oh yeah, um, we'll talk next week or whatever." And he messaged Pep to say, "Oh, are you around?" You know, I think all Guardiola's family are in. Barcelona this week but I mean obviously he stayed because there's a game but he's just like full on you know, he's got nothing to do in the evenings but it's like my, my mate was like oh, he just didn't get a reply and then he, like, he messaged the staff and they were like just just don't bother him this week like he's just he's wow. so kind of pissed <laughs> off about dropping the points and like so focused on what they can do to beat Bournemouth kind of thing he's he's all in on beating Bournemouth it's like there's it, he's, they said like he's, he's treating it like a cup final again so you know it's that kind of last 14 games of last season kind of vibe mm. um, is there anything in the story that they were meant to go away on a warm weather training thing this week and Pep cancelled that I don't I mean it'll be true because Mike McGrath's really good when Mike McGrath does something on City then you know it's right in my experience um, I, asked, I asked okay. somebody what was it yesterday was it just yesterday morning this came out I asked somebody who knows one of the players really well um, I was also this about he went I don't know mate I've, I've not heard anything about it and then I I forgot to ask really yesterday, because um, I, 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 to me I don't see it as I just don't see it as that important. Maybe I mean maybe it ties into what that what I was just saying about Pep. Maybe he's think maybe he's thinking let's just let's just fucking stay here and focus and do it. You know let's let's not mess around. Let's just win. Yeah, you're not having any sun. This is a kind of punishment. <laughs> Even though the teams played well, you know at the end of the day they made, they made mistakes. <laughs> And that's kind of why he had to go at Aguero. So it's yeah. like, right, you're not having any yeah. sudden you're staying here in Manchester, you're going to focus. This is normal game. We need to win it. Okay. Maybe it's that. Okay. Um, Howard, if you kind of look back at the game in March, uh, as dominant a 
performance as it was, the score was only 1-0. Do you expect Bournemouth to view that as a type of victory in the sense that do you expect them to have a similar setup this weekend, which is to try and frustrate City? And then just to push it forward into, into what Pep does, what does Guardiola do? I mean, I think we were... My one complaint was that I felt that we were wasteful last weekend against Spurs. We created a lot and we didn't finish it. And, you know, whether you call it complacency or you call it greediness or you just call it poor decision-making, we just didn't finish the things that we should have finished. And that's a real danger against an opponent who can be defensively very obdurate. So do you expect... Which which Bournemouth side do you expect to face and how do you expect City to approach this both from a lineup point of view and also just as a reaction to last weekend. Yeah, I think both managers would have been pretty happy to be honest with the March. Was it in March uh, that result? Uh, yeah. Obviously, Pep said it was his best performance of the season, uh, <laughs> which sounds ridiculous. But because of what Sam said earlier, you know, not a single shot was conceded during the match. And for that, for him, that is just the definition of total control. But yeah, City didn't. You know, I can't remember the, I can't remember every chance, but there weren't that many chances, were there? And so that's probably what he's working on. He's absolutely happy with the general domination of that, and he'll be looking to repeat that. Uh, But he'll want a bit more in front of goal, Uh, definitely more chance creation. And let's be honest, the first two games of this season is where I think we're seeing signs that City have moved up a level again. So he'll be expecting that. As for Eddie Howe, I mean, yeah, I think he'd have been happy that there's not many teams that he'd that'd be restricted that much in chances. Uh, I think City just played the patient game and never panicked, but he'll take that as kind of a moral victory because, I mean, City have, you know, City have won their last two seasons, uh, but they've struggled. Uh, it's taken, was the previous one the, the very, very late winner off Sterling's knee? Or I'm a year ahead there. And it's like, yeah, so it's not it's not been easy to go in there, but I'm not sure not sure how much Eddie Howe's got to play with, really, because he has got plenty of injuries. I think Dan Juma, the new signing's out for six weeks now, the foot injury. Uh, they've got two players with crucial ligament injuries, Lewis Cook, Simon Francis, Lloyd Kelly, new signing's ligament injuries, David Brooks, who we know quite well, uh, has had ankle surgery, I think. So he hasn't got a lot to play with. Uh, but you know, Callum Wilson or well, two Wilsons up front will be quite lively. So Guardiola, Pep will be working on just restricting any supply to the front players. Basically, uh, I said after you know, I said before the Spurs match. I just wonder the the problem for me, and it's a good dilemma, is if we don't get injuries. Uh, I've not heard about John Stones, but that's the only one I know of. And Mendy is back in training. Who who do you play? I mean, I've just I've no idea. I just wonder if after the Spurs match, he will change this around. Will Cancelo get a game in? When do you play Phil Foden? You know, yeah. does Jesus now start? Is he the starter now? Or does Sergio need to get his match fitness by playing? Because, I mean, he's Sergio Aguero after all. So, yeah, it, I, you know, if, you, if you're asking which team he's going to pick, I have absolutely no idea. There's a chance he might go a bit left field with this. But 
again, you know, does Gundogan keep his place? Does David Silva come back in? And when does Fernandinho get a a game? Because Rodri's been so good, we're not really missing him. Um, mm. But he's going to play him at some point. He has to. So yeah. absolutely, you know, Amara's. It's just so many decisions to make here. I just wonder if he will go a bit left field. Uh, you know, there was talk before the season will he tinker with, with Cancelo, you know, wing backs, back three, but if Stones is injured, uh, I don't think it's going to mess about with the formation too much, but you never know what he's going to pull out of his hat, to be honest. I go along with that. I think that um, my gut has been telling me all week that he'll make changes this weekend. In fact, I'm going to throw this over to Sam. Sam, if you look at all of those potential selection headaches that, that Howard has has raised, just kind of run through them. Like Cancelo, potentially, where does, when does Fernandinho play? Is it a moment for Foden in an away game and Jesus versus Aguero and Mares versus Bernardo and Sterling? Like, ha- I, I, would you err on the side of what happened last weekend will simply happen again? Or can you see some changes in there? Well, it's a difficult one because Guardiola said, you know, for Mares and... Jesus coming out, he had to play Aguero and Bernardo because otherwise they wouldn't have had a game in like three weeks and he needs to keep them fresh. So it's kind of like, well, if that is true, then is he going to go back to Mares, who who played well against West Ham but then didn't play well against Spurs? Um, pro- I mean, probably not because he was quite crap when he came on against Spurs in terms of getting into those good areas and then just cutting inside and getting tackled. Um, well, that was quite wasteful. So I guess he won't. Um I do want to see Aguero and Jesus together. I I think that depends on Cancelo. I mean, this is just my theory. I think that depends on Cancelo. But again, this is a bit. It's a bit like West Ham and fine. Cancelo, in terms of not playing at West Ham, was also fitness. And maybe I mean maybe the same thing will apply. And people think, well, he's not played in a long time. But given it's away from home, and it might be seen as you know a difficult place to go. And look, you've got some winnable home games coming up. I kind of think Cancelo's going to come in from Brighton onwards in terms of starting. Um, so I think it'll still be Walker this weekend. I doubt Stones will play. I mean, I don't know either way, but that injury, depending on the severity of it, I think it's going to be it's at least a week out, I'd have thought. But, I mean, potentially much longer or no, a few weeks longer. But I'd imagine he wouldn't play. And then you mentioned Fernandinho, and you know I've always said I don't think Fernandinho is going to be used as like a backup centre back. I can see him, I can see him becoming first choice quite quickly, and in all the training sessions he's playing centre back. Um, but, but that makes sense because look, you don't need to play him as a midfielder anymore. He knows what he's doing, and he needs to learn at centre back. But it does obviously go to show that that is it is being worked on. It's not just a kind of oh shit, everyone's injured, let's play him in October, November. I can see that being soon. But again, will he decide to do it at Bournemouth? Maybe he will. Maybe that little piece of his brain which makes him think we need to win this game let's try something different maybe it'll be that maybe Fernandinho will start centre back um, the rest of the pitch you know Rodri's come this far now I don't think you can take him out um, De Bruyne I think David Silva will come back in I just think he's I mean it's difficult to make this point given he didn't play against Spurs and was effectively dropped you know he wasn't rested was he you know he was taken out for tactical reasons um, but I still kind of think he he's a bit he's the go-to guy. I think he'll he'll play, and then front three are Bernardo, Aguero, and Sterling. I think. I think. 
it's difficult between Aguero and Jesus at the moment because they're both quite good. They're both, being, they're both good, but yeah. I think just, just I think imagine if Sane hadn't been injured. Yeah. <laughs> 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 we just have to give it up with this team prediction, wouldn't we? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think I do think that um, Jesus versus Aguero this season is going to become a much bigger conversation than it has been at any point since the first few months of Jesus's yeah. uh, uh, arrival at City, um, and I do wonder whether um, whether this weekend he does make the flip. But then part of me just feels like, well, if Jesus starts, that just feeds into, you know, you know the first question after the game is going to be about, you know, well, you had an argument with Aguero last week and he got dropped this week. And just, I don't know, like I wonder whether to avoid that sort of headache, he picks Aguero, but then Guardiola's never going to pick a team to satisfy the press. It's always going to be yeah, about what he wants to do. So it's very difficult to uh, to know what, he will do Sam. What, maybe forget trying to predict uh, what Pep will do. And how I'm going to throw this over to you afterwards. You can start thinking about it now. Um, what are you making? I'm just going to run through the key selections, right? So right back, would you pick Walker or Cancelo against Bournemouth? Yeah, Walker. Walker. I think you can try Cancelo in in some of the home games. Okay, um, Otamendi or Fernandinho. Fernandinho. I thought Otamendi was good last okay. week. I thought he was good last week. Um, I really want to see Fernandinho as centre-back and I kind of think he, he can have that bit of an X-factor to, to even dominate the game even yeah. more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, what about Gundogan or David Silva? Who would you choose? Uh, well, I've, I'm planning to write about David Silva and I've got some decent information, so hopefully him. Uh, I would I would pick David Silva for these kind of games when you're going to have a lot of the ball and you need to kind of dictate the, the pace and the tempo. And look, Gundogan can do it as well, but David Silva's David Silva. Mares or Bernardo? Bernardo? Aguero or Jesus? Hmm. Somebody said to me yesterday, Asane was one of the few players who would get in behind and kind of attack those spaces and pull teams out of shape. And the only other player who can do that is Jesus. And you think, fine, they, they didn't really need it because Sane didn't play much at the end of last season anyway. And then Jesus didn't either. Um, so fair enough. Aguero's obviously good enough. But it's interesting that if Jesus brings that other kind of quality to them at the start of the season when you know you make more changes. Um, so I'm kind of tempted with that. But again, list a bit like I was saying about Gundogan and David Silva. You know, Jesus is really good, but Aguero's Aguero. So Aguero it is. Okay. Um, Howard, very quickly, we'll run through those selection dilemmas for uh, you. Sam, can I come back and ask you about maybe some David Silver stuff that you might have got for your upcoming article yeah. after Howard's yeah. answered? Excellent. Um, so, can I uh, cut to the chase? Yes. And say I really would play the same team as last week with Jesus in for Sergio. Okay, fair enough. For all of those selections. Because I think if... I mean, obviously, he won't do this and I'll be proven completely wrong. Uh I think if he wants that, you know, we saw that domination, how he restricted, but if he restricts Bournemouth from having chances, then he'll expect us to win comfortably. I think having Gundogan there with Rodri and letting Kevin get further forward and that Bernardo on the right again, you know, I think it could be really destructive that. And Jesus is, you know, on fire, his work rate. Yeah, I, I just think 
at the same team would have the domin- you know, as much domination as they did against Spurs. Uh, yeah. And could you know, and having Gundogan a bit further back with Rodri could help restrict the home side having any chances. But let's be honest, it probably won't happen. So I don't know. I think you might be right this time. I think for me, as much as I kind of my gut tells me that there will be some kind of changes, I actually think that the change, the big one, will be Jesus for Aguero, and I think the other one that potentially could happen is Fernandinho for Otamendi just to try it because he's yeah. been trained. If he's been training there for three weeks or four weeks as a centre half. At some point, they're going to want to try it. I imagine they're going to want to try it against a team who are going to sit very, very deep, play with a very low block. If they feel that Bournemouth will do that again because it was almost it almost worked for them in March, then maybe this is the game for Ferner. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, so- I agree with Sam that Cancelo looks you know a real possibility for the Brighton game. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Howard, cut into the chase again. Do you think that City will? Do enough to beat Bournemouth this weekend. <laughs> yes. I'm Excellent. I'm going to go for a 2-0 with lots of wasted chances again. Okay. Sam, are City going to beat Bournemouth this weekend? I think so, yeah. I think so, yeah. Okay. Excellent. Well, it's full house because I think we'll beat Bournemouth as well. I actually think we'll be less wasteful um, because I think that there will be... I think there will have been some video nasties this week where the players, some of our big attacking players will have been shown very easy square passes that would have led to tapping goals. Uh, so I expect us to be much less wasteful than we were against Spurs. The big question is which novel way can VAR not rule out a goal for us this week? <laughs> <laughs> um, to be honest with you, if I, if I had to make a, a, a VAR prediction this weekend, it's that it's going to even itself out. I'm going to get a goal given to us that, you know, thanks to VAR. bit like the, uh, I'm thinking of the West Ham penalty that got retaken because because of something mad. I think something mad like that's going to happen in our favour. Um, okay, so the only thing left is to have a quick chat about Liverpool versus Arsenal this weekend. And actually, it's, uh, it's an excuse to talk about Arsenal more than it is to talk about Liverpool because I do think we've talked about Liverpool a lot already. Um, Sam... I've been quietly impressed with uh, with both the business that Arsenal did this summer and the manner in which they started their season. I don't necessarily love Emery's brand of football. bit too vertical up and down for me. Um, but how good can they be this season? And have they been a little bit talked down and underestimated? I feel as though when last season ended... Everybody was of the opinion Arsenal have just got massive yeah. problems and they've got no money and no way of fixing these issues. And, you know, if you'd have said to me, they're going to sign Nicolas Pepe and David Luiz, I'd have said, get out. It's never, ever, 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 ever going to happen. And yet they sign Pepe and they sign David Luiz. And then they get Ceballos on loan from Real Madrid. It looks like he's going to hit the ground running or has hit the ground running. On top of that, you've got Josh Kroenke saying that they're going to go again in January and they're going to spend and they're going to bring more players in. So have we underestimated them and how good can they be? Um, Underestimated to an extent. How good can they be? Fourth is what I think. Um, I, I, I thought it was a bit over the top last year. I mean, unless people were like, right, the end of the season was crap and we're going to hold... 
we're going to save our judgments until the Europa League because if they win that then we're going to look stupid which is a stupid way of analysing football you either analyse them because they're good or bad not if they win or not um, but fine that's just how it works but after they lost to Chelsea in the in the Europa League final yeah everyone was carrying on as if they were awful they had these massive problems to sort out um, and he's, for the first season under Emery it was it was alright Um Considering you know some of the stuff we've been left with, you know Özil's situation where Özil's a whole other podcast, but I, I I think he's massively overrated. He's a good player, but he doesn't show it enough, and he gets paid too much money. Like the way you know that's that's mm. why he's still there because he gets paid three hundred grand a week, which is just ridiculous. And like Emery had to handle situations like that, and he didn't handle them all well. I'm not saying he had a really good season. I'm not saying I'm not trying to revisit his first season and say it was actually really good because there was you know people didn't understand why he wasn't playing Aaron Ramsey and that kind of thing but he stuck to his philosophy um, he did what he, he wanted to do the thing that's always baffled me is like every reporter around Arsenal was saying yeah they got a budget of 40 million they want Zaha but there's no way they're going to get him like there's just no money and then they go and buy Nicolas Pepe for 70 odd and think where is that but like, how how has that happened like, how have they got it so wrong um, so that that's interesting and I mean yeah the, the thing is there's always kind of a well I was going to say there's always a bit of a buzz around Arsenal there's not so much a positive buzz there's always there's always interest around Arsenal and how they're going to get on um, I mean yeah they've started with two wins against Newcastle they were alright but you know Pepe didn't play uh, Lacazette didn't play uh, David Luiz didn't play um, Kolasinac didn't play who's you know he's he's kind of sums up Arsenal really he can be you know really good and devastating going forward but it's fundamentally a bad defender um, yeah they're they're interesting I think they're before the season started I, I had them down as fourth um, because I think they won't be as much of a mess as Chelsea and United obviously United have started with two uh, well well a win and, and a draw the draw didn't feel as negative as a lot of draws they had last season but I, I think Arsenal will be more consistent over the season um, and yeah it's, it is interesting Aubameyang has, he has started well I really like Lacazette I mean he's he's a little he's not old but like if if he were to sign for City I think it'd be good it's never going to happen but I think that would be a good signing um, if, he, if he would sign yeah. for United I'd be delighted I think that'd be, that would have been a good signing um, he's, a, he's a good player and obviously Pepe's really exciting so yeah Arsenal not as bad as everyone makes out probably not as as good a start to the season as everyone makes out either because you know they, they could have drawn both of those games against Newcastle and Burnley and I imagine they're going to get battered by Liverpool as well <laughs> um, but they're alright they're, they're, they're not a disaster For, I mean I'd, I'd be surprised if they didn't get fourth Sam I, I set this whole thing up so that we could get some positive predictions about Arsenal's chances against Liverpool and you've just killed it at the very end by going they'll get slapped um, Howard it's Liverpool isn't it do you, th- do you think that there's any chance that Arsenal can do a little bit better than they have done in the last couple of years uh, at Anfield there is a chance yes but okay. I wouldn't put a single penny on it so <laughs> I'm sorry I'm not the one that's going to be positive uh, that, that front three can obviously create a lot of problems for Liverpool but I'm still just not convinced about Arsenal's defence themselves. Uh, mm. Obviously, Tierney is highly rated, but you know it's a centre of defence, so I worry most about. And David Luiz, you know, he gets a lot of stick. Can put in nine out of ten performances in quite a lot of games during the season, but you just can't be sure. You know, if 
will this be one of those days? So he could be absolutely imperious on Saturday. Uh, or he might not be. Uh, but I don't, you know, he's better than he's given credit for. He's very talented and, you know, he's comfortable on the ball. And when he's on form and concentrating, he's, he's one of the best. But it's just not all the time. I just, yeah, the only thing that I think, you know, there's been talk that Liverpool are playing with a, a higher defensive line this season. And maybe, just maybe, that plays into Arsenal's hands. Uh, and with this, you know, loan signing from, he got two assists last week from Real Madrid. You know, if he can dictate uh, playing the midfield, then maybe. But they just, I don't know. They just, I don't like to go off historical results because what happened three years ago has no bearing on what happens this weekend. But there is just that feeling that they do collapse too easily against, you know, Liverpool. Certainly at Liverpool, you know, it's a horror show. I think it was beginning of the year. Or, and I just, yeah. I do worry about their defensive capabilities. If they're solid in defence, they can absolutely get a result out of this. Mm, I think it might end up being a little bit of a basketball game. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I, I think that in a way it's good that the game comes early in the season because I think that, you know, you do get anomalous results earlier in the season. Uh but at the same time, you wonder how bedded in David Luiz is, how bedded in the new players are in terms of coping with what Liverpool will throw at them. I like the business that Arsenal have done. I've already said that. So I am hoping that they make a fist of the game. Um, maybe I should say, like uh, uh, somebody in the Telegraph said, for the good of the Premier League, <laughs> Arsenal need to... Uh, Need to get something at, at Liverpool because we wouldn't want Liverpool to be uh, to we wouldn't want anybody to be running away with the uh, with the league the way that City did last season. It's definitely ruining football. Um, okay, Howard, your prediction then: a Liverpool win? Yeah, two two one. Okay, I, th- I think the best thing I also could do is park the bus because mm. destroy him on the break. But I just can't see Emery doing that to be honest. I think he might do that, you know. Oh, I think em- Emery does have it in. I mean, they, as I say, he plays a very vertical game at times, and I think they are. He will at least try to play on the counter attack. Um, yeah, so we'll just have to see how that actually works out. Look, I'm look. I'm definitely looking forward to the game. I think early in the season, it's good to get. Uh, uh, it's good to get the 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 big top six rivals playing each other to get a sense of where they are. And I think we got a sense of where Spurs are and a sense of where City are last weekend. So it'll be definitely interesting to see where Liverpool and Arsenal are in terms of their head-to-head matchup. So Sam, same for you then? Liverpool win? Yeah, I think Nothing so, but yeah. Liverpool win? I think so. Excellent. Okay. Well, look, I'm going to wrap this up. This was the Friday show. Uh, obviously, if you're a member of the 9320 player, we will be back with a review of the Bournemouth game on Monday. Uh, if you aren't a member, maybe head over to 9320.com and sign up. Um, yeah, we'll be back very soon. In the meantime, be safe, be well, and as always, up the blues. <laughs>